Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, this is it! This is Top 5 Time Machine, I'm Andy Dawson. I'm Sam Delaney. Hello, welcome along to this, it is part 12 of the Keen Odyssey 2, where we look at Roy Keane's first book, memorably titled Keen. Uh, I'm going to be honest Sam, it's not as good as the second one, the book, the podcast might no be, way. I don't know. That's for the, the listeners. To no, but there's judge. there's less to go on. I mean, the second one, which of course we did, that was our original deep dive. It was a very special book, very special, and I think that was because he was older. Yeah, he was sort of wiser. He was certainly more reflective, and more than that, I think you know his his ghostwriter for that or his co-writer Roddy Doyle was Roddy Doyle, who's a Booker Prize winning. <clears throat> author yeah and uh you know all due respect to Owen Dumphy he's also a well you know respected and talented writer different level like Eamon, uh, Roddy Doyle tapped in to something deep in the psyche of Roy Keane and is almost almost as complicit in creating the now world famous and wildly popular caricature of Roy Keane <laughs> that Top Flight Time Machine have yeah. cultivated yeah we should really Credit where credit's due. Um, you know, if we do ever manage to monetize this into some sort of, you know, feature film yeah. situation, or, as I hope, a theme park, a Roy Keane theme park, right, then we should cut Roddy Doyle yeah. in on it. Yeah, he's as big a part of this as anybody, definitely. Mm. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think, it's, I think as well, a lot of it is Keane does a lot of off-the-field stuff in the second book, whereas we're reaching mm. a section of this book it's talking a lot about playing football, which ultimately is pretty dull. So. Mm. Well, the benchmark for boring football books, um, well, I, traditionally, is, of course, the, the the famous Alan Shearer incident where he, he went home and created a fence after winning the league, right? <clears throat> I have since then, though, read um, Michael Carrick's book. And Michael Carrick is a man who sort of, what I mean, a talented footballer, a classy footballer, but not the most dynamic or exciting to watch. He played, he did a job, a very important job yeah. in the midfield for many years of basically like a metronome, receiving the ball, passing the ball. And his book sort of follows a similar <laughs> pattern. It's just kind of, you know, it's, it's in literary terms, it's basically sitting at the base of the midfield and just playing the simple pass. Have a thought, do a sentence, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just sort of says, then we played this game, this is what happened, then we played the next game, this is what happened. Roy Keane, particularly the second book, is reflective of his style of play. It's all action, it's volatile, <laughs> it's dramatic. It's scary at times. It's yeah. dangerous. It's exhilarating, and it's highly effective. Above all, it's highly effective. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But anyway, you and know, unpredictable. We will mm. carry on. We'll we'll get through this sooner rather than later. I reckon. 
and we'll move on to more important topics like um, ITV's Dick Turpin series of the early 1980s. Yeah. We'll get round to that. Yeah. Okay. Right, well, as I say, he's talking a lot about football. He talks a lot about Alex Ferguson at the next point in the book um, and his, his admiration of him. Um, he says, first in the train each morning was Ferguson. His presence was felt when he was out of sight even. When he was in his office, he'd come out on the prowl laughing, joking on his mobile phone. I wonder what he was doing on his mobile phone. Created, a, caused him a laugh and joke. Was prank calls, prank I reckon. Calls, murking, like, like Rio Ferdinand used to do. Ringing yeah. in radio stations, pretending to be someone he's not. Yeah. That sort of thing. Hello, hello, <laughs> it's Prince Harry. It's Prince Harry. Hey, it's Prince Harry. I'm, I'm with a prostitute. Get off the line. It's not Prince Harry. Prince Harry's about nine years old and that he doesn't Prince have Charles. A, a Glaswegian accent. And ain't then. It's Prince Charles. <laughs> hey. And I'm, I'm with Lady Day's ghost. Hey. <laughs> is this, this is Alex Ferguson again, isn't it? Oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> I'll ring in a Midland station instead. I've never done them before. They're not under me. <laughs> Yet he was always watching, looking out for signs, good or bad in players that were object of his immediate concern. Who to leave out, who to put in, who needed a kick up the arse, who required a pat on the back. And then in italics he puts, managing. So he's he's very taken with Ferguson's uh, prowess as a manager. And he talks about him managing the Cantonar affair and uh, how he dealt with all of that. And it, it's the beginning of where Roy keeps mentioning Cantonar in a bit of a negative light and he does mm. he does blame Cantona for the missing out on that the double, tide that, turns yeah, yeah, doesn't it a little it? bit yeah um, and it, it's that season when um, Newcastle threw with the lead at the top of the table and uh, Manchester United beating Leeds and afterwards Ferguson has a go at the Leeds players asking why they didn't battle against every opponent the way they did against Manchester United which was the thing that triggered Kevin Keegan's memorable outburst because United had beaten Leeds and oh, Fergie, Fergie had yeah. accused them of slacking against other teams. Yeah. And uh, Kane says, what a wind-up, an Alex Ferguson special. Of course, the manager denies he's at it, so I must believe him. Anyway, Keegan bit and the controversy couldn't have done anything for Newcastle's concentration, as if they weren't under enough pressure. They'd have to think, they have something to think of now other than winning, going into the Leeds game. But there was a bit of um, to and fro going on behind the scenes and Ferguson was negotiating a new contract at the time and the talks weren't going well and then Kane says he was also in talks about a new contract with Michael Kennedy remember Michael of Kennedy course. Roy's lawyer Michael Kennedy with the smooth mm. down hair who drives Roy's car you, you could never <clears throat> be in the same room me and Michael never it's one of Michael's uh, tactics you see he's an arch negotiator <laughs> and he won't let me be in the same room as him when he negotiates because that's not the way he operates, you see. He likes the client out of the room. If you want to talk to me, he has to go outside, call me. You have to wait five to ten minutes maximum, and then I will come into the room. I wonder if he'd like keep changing from costume to costume to have the conversation yeah. with Roy. He'd come out of his Michael, oh. his Michael Kennedy suit. He'll ask Roy yeah. a question, take off the suit, put on Roy's shell suit. Roy answers the question. <laughs> Michael Kennedy puts the suit back on, asks Roy another question, and so on and so on. I'm just going to consult with Roy. I'll be back in three and a half hours. <laughs> if we're going to do this, Michael, we've got to do it properly. I agree. I agree with you, Roy. I agree with you, Roy. I think we can't have a conversation unless we both are prepared to change outfits several times. <laughs> 
So they won the league that season. Eventually, they over, overhauled Newcastle at the top. They won the league. It was 95-96, wasn't it? And then uh, they were going for the double with um, against Liverpool. And it was that match where the Liverpool players were the Spice Boys and they wore the white suits mm. and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And it was, let's face it, it was one of the most boring FA Cup finals we've ever seen because it was, it was built up to be such a big exciting final because that Liverpool team were pretty good with all them young they players they were good the Spice Boys weren't yeah, they yeah they were a good team and obviously United were swashbuckling and all that and it looked as if it was going to be a, a really good final close and it was it was awful and as Roy says Neutral said the 1996 Cup final was a bore not if you were playing it was grim <laughs> alright <laughs> it was grim I enjoyed it immensely <laughs> not if you were playing <laughs> It was grim, demanding every ounce of concentration, every last gasp of breath. My job was to anchor midfield, to deny Liverpool time and space, to break up their rhythm, basically to destroy any notions they might have had of passing us to defeat. My job was to destroy their minds. My job was to take them apart, psychologically. Make them, leave them (laughs) on the pitch in ruins. Stop everything they wanted to do. Stop them from existing. When I looked at the likes of Phil Babb, Jason McAteer <laughs> in their white suits. Everyone else was noticing the clothes. But you know what I saw? I saw Lego men. <laughs> Lego men. Me- giant men made out of hundreds of pieces of Lego. And I just pictured myself slowly picking it to pieces and then rebuilding it into something else. Um, like, I don't know. Like a, a, a zoo. A zoo or a cock or, you know, the Millennium Falcon, something like that. <laughs> Whatever it was, it'd be something that was incapable of winning a top-level football match. Weirdly, a few years later, Jason McAteer went on to play for Sunderland. And uh, mm. my brother once saw him downstairs in the Virgin Megastore in Newcastle, um, spending an inordinately long amount of time looking at some Reservoir Dogs uh, action figures. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing looking at him. I don't know whether he was thinking about recreating the film you know um, in his mind at the time sh- now I've what are they again excuse me missus how much are these reservoir dogs figures again oh they're about um, they're, they're 14 99 each pet right have you, have you that's quite dear that missus I've, I'll tell you what I've got I've got 20 no wait if I put count all my change out, I've got just enough for two. Now, do I get Mr. Blonde and Mr. Pink? Or do I get Mr. Brown and Mr. Blue? The question is, I can't recreate this classic scene in the warehouse using two of the actual figures and then maybe getting some of my Star Wars figures or my Action Force figures and having them stand in for the other characters. Have, uh, Mrs., have you, got, have, you, have you got any of the dogs or have you just got the trainers? because <laughs> I don't think there's much point in doing it unless I've got the dogs as well when you get the dogs back in stock love I've not actually seen the film as such because it's an 18 and uh, well you know <laughs> I am 30 but my mum doesn't like me watching 18s but I've heard from my pals that it's it's a boss movie <laughs> so Roy's talking about the, that 96 um, cup final uh, there's a lot of ground to cover at Wembley but I covered it got my tackles in delivered the message this is going to be hard work boys fucking hard work along with Nicky Butt I won the midfield battle 
Nicky was a tough lad and an ideal partner for this kind of operation. He's treating it like a, like yeah. a, a some kind of operation. Yeah, he's treating it like some kind of a criminal enterprise, isn't he? Basically, the, the, these, of course, were the days before he, he he very often thought of himself as a military man yeah. engaged in military activities <laughs> as, as opposed to football matches, and he carried that with him for a long time until, of course, he actually tried to involve the army in his yeah. football activities at Ipswich Town. So this is all before that, when he still thought it was fun to pretend to be a soldier. Yeah. And years later, when he was forced to kill a pig <laughs> with a knife uh, in front of his Ipswich <clears throat> squad, he realised that actually they're two different worlds and probably didn't bear comparison. I, I think if we ever do run into any trouble with Roy Keane about these series mm. of podcasts, which I think could happen eventually, um, mm. all we need to do to defuse the situation is you introduce him to your best friend, Chris Ryan... And I think mm. well, everything will be sweet, basically. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think Ryan can smooth this Definitely. over for us, no, no danger. He's a Trump card, isn't he? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we got a podcast organised with the two <gasps> of them, compare it, and we call it Parallel Lives? Fuck, Keenan fucking Chris Ryan. Ke- Keenan Ryan, Parallel Lives. Interviewed, you see that? Interviewed by Michael Kennedy. Chris Ryan, I read your book. About the one where you're on Bravo Two Zero and you escaped from the gunfight and you had to walk across the desert and drink radioactive water and all your teeth fell out. It reminded me of the 1996 <laughs> FA Cup final against Liverpool. It was very similar for me and Nicky Butt. <laughs> so they won that. They won that double. Another double, he says. This time with kids. The moment of victory is short. It has to be, but on this occasion, very sweet. Um, What's savouring is the vindication. The double of 95-96 vindicated the manager. He had won something with kids. So sticking it to Alan Hansen there massively. Yeah. So you can't win anything with kids. And then Steve Bruce left. Steve Bruce, of course, had been the captain. He took over from Brian Robson. And uh, Steve Bruce yeah. became Mr. Ticket, basically. It was uh, Roy's, yeah. Roy's go-to for the tickets. Um, and He left for Birmingham City. I think he did, yeah. Is that what he did? Oh, Sheffield United first. No, nah, I think Birmingham, he Birmingham City first. He went all over. Then he continues yeah. to go all over. He's a bit like the littlest hobo of football, Steve Bruce. Yeah, there's an adventure in every town he goes to, and he just leaves yeah. a massive fucking mess behind him afterwards. He does tend a to, bit, doesn't a big he? Pile of shit like the littlest hobo used to, because he used to do that at the end of each episode, <laughs> didn't he? The littlest hobo. You just yes, yeah, the titles. He'd solve the mystery, and then just before the credits, you'd mm. just see him doing his shit by the side of the road before he. Well, off. thank God we caught that paedophile priest, and it was all <laughs> thanks to that mysterious dog. Hey, where is he? Oh my God! <laughs> Jesus Christ! He's, he is defecating on the altar of this church. <laughs> he took a dump in a kiddie's. <laughs> He took a dump in the kiddies' playground. Oh my god! Fuck you! This Fuck you! the road is where I'm gonna go. Every time I'm catching nuns doing shit on my own way. Because every episode of the Littlest Hobo is probably on YouTube and we'll add it to the list of deep dives that we'll never do. Yeah, if there's any millennials don't know what the fuck we're on about, then fuck you. You should yeah. have caught up Go on, on this shit. Go and have a look at that and the Red Hand Gang yeah. as well. Remember the Red Hand Gang? Oh, those fuckers, One yeah. One of them was played by an actor called James Bond Jr. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the little black kid with glasses. Excellent. <clears throat> yeah. James Bond Jr. Uh, so, yeah, they United won the double. Um... Fergie, a few days later, I'll quit in peer wrangle. 
unless his deal was agreed before he left for his holidays, the gaffer was set to leave. So I'm away on holiday on Tuesday to Cyprus. If the money's not in the bank then, then I'm, I'm, I'm not coming I'm not back. Coming back. I'm going to get a job cleaning <laughs> pools. That's the life for me. That's no bother to me. I grew up in the gobbles. <laughs> I'd just as soon as clean Cypriot toilets as I would as I would manage this pile of shit. <laughs> he was on a pittance, three hundred thousand pounds a year in a game overflowing with television money. Three hundred thousand a year for Alex Ferguson, who orchestrated Doesn't that. Doesn't seem much, great does team. it? Nowadays, fucking hell. When it, Alexis Sanchez, who who plays for United, gets what half a million half a, a week? Million a week. He? He's still players, but. Mm. Doesn't really, yeah. does he? Um, Fergie got the deal. Double the pittance, up to 600 grand a year, with a bonus if he was successful. When Alex Ferguson returned from holiday, I signed the new contract Michael Kennedy had negotiated. I was committed for four more years and glad to be. Jalapeño. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Jalapeño. And then we move on to uh, Cantona again. Cantona retired quite dramatically. I think it was the season after that double. Oh. He just went, ah, fuck this. I am Earth. Yeah. He went, fa. <laughs> like at the end of a French yeah. movie. Fa. <laughs> and that was all he said. And then he just walked off. I am going to Cyprus to be a pool cleaner. Fuck this. Yeah. It is part of my performance art project. Yeah. As was... The last six years here at Manchester. <laughs> it was all just a big art it project. It is part of my existential drama. Mm-hmm. And now, as a final flourish, I have organised it for Teddy Sheridan to take my place in the team. <laughs> and then he did his shit in the corner flag and then walked off to yeah. the tune of the little <laughs> snowball. Voila! <laughs> C'est la merde. Well, Au revoir! Little- <laughs> Au revoir, roast beef. <laughs> stuck a little trickle of flag in it and fucked off. <laughs> But Roy says At the time some of us felt there may have been more to Eric's departure than was revealed Uh, We knew he'd been talking to the manager and wondered if it was about money and an extension to his contract which had a a year left to run So he thinks that Cantona wasn't going to get the money Uh, So it might have been about money Cantona basically I don't believe that Kino I think you're mad saying that because He'd just won the double, so he may well have been asking for another contract. But if it was to do with money, why would he have retired from football entirely and taken his chances in the civilian realm? Good point. If he wanted money, he could. He just won the double. He would hot property. He could have signed for another club, no problem. Mm. What was spectacular about what Cantona did 
was he completely walked away from the game, arguably at his very peak. Yeah. I remember the day. I remember being in my house, coming downstairs, and my brother saying to me, Cantona's quit United. And I said, where's he going? And he said, nowhere, he's just quit football. And you, you just couldn't believe it. No one's done. I can't think of anyone before or since who's just quit football out of the blue. Did he, did he do it mid-season? I can't no, remember. Was I think it, it was after. I think it was at the end, yeah. At the end of that season. That would have been cunty. If it, it would have been really cunty if he'd done it mid-season. That would be brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> some players do do <laughs> Enough. that. Enough. Some players do do that during the season, but when, generally when they're 37 and they know they're yeah, not going to come not back. they're not playing. They're really old. They're never going to get another decent contract. It's okay, I quit. But Cantona had just scored the, <laughs> he scored the winner, <laughs> yeah. let's not forget, yeah. in the last minute of extra time, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Well, I mean, Roy, so, Roy, Roy says... Um, something Eric said earlier that year about United wishing to use him as a commodity and the increasingly commercial nature of the club provided a clue perhaps to what the reason he chose when, to retire when he did. I think he decided if he couldn't play for United, he wouldn't play at all. I admired mm. that. But you don't no. believe that. You think Cantona could have gone on somewhere else? He could have done, <coughs> couldn't he? He could have gone back and played for anyone in France, for could example. Have gone back to Leeds. Yeah, exactly. Back. I'm sure they'd have had him in an instant. <laughs> Um, the scenes around Old Trafford uh, were unbelievable. Hundreds of United fans clutching Eric's number seven shirt stood in mourning on the forecourt at Old Trafford. Many were tearful. <laughs> it was impossible to imagine scenes like that at any other football club in Britain. No, it's not. That's no, not at all, is it? No. Could happen everywhere. Could happen at Sunderland. <clears throat> I mean, to be honest, if it happens at fucking United, it could happen anywhere. Yeah. Because as you know, as great a club as United are, and as brilliant fans as they have. There are so many people who support United or claim to support United. They inevitably, proportionally, will have more plastic bullshitting fans yeah. than any other club. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they haven't got a huge number of very decent. Of course, there's fans, a core. But yeah, but uh, there, there will be a core. But they, they, even they will know that their club is fucking riddled with bullshitters. And from my experience, it usually is the bullshit of plastic fans who will go over the top with the crying yeah. and the faux sentimentality. Because those of us who've been around the block a few times just are yeah, more jaded than that, yeah. than to fucking cry over a player retiring. Yeah. <laughs> over, let's uh, you know, strip it down. This is an, You're an adult. This is another adult who's decided to retire from the job he does. Mm-hmm. And you're crying about it. Weak will. You're crying about another adult male who might be your age or even younger deciding not to do the thing he does anymore. For a living. Weak willed, lily livered, spineless, uh, glory hunting, um, tragic. Well, I just think they need to get. I mean, I think, you know, they need to invest their emotions in things that mean more to them in real life than to cry over another man like stopping to do his job well i mean you don't cry if like your milkman retires do you if you have one i don't have one i'd I'd stopped having one because of that emotional pull i couldn't imagine the day when the milkman would retire i didn't know how i'd deal with it so what i did was over a period of about a year gradually knocked it down from two pints a day to one pint a day and then it was a pint every Mm. other day until in the end, I just went, ah, you're all right, mate. I'll just buy it as and when I need it. And that, that relationship I'm, ended. I'm, I'm, obviously, as you know, my mum, uh, our milkman, when I was a kid, moved in with us and became my mum's living lover. Yeah, Archie. Lover. And so, obviously, I'm a bit twitchy about milkmen. He's a milkman right? lover. <laughs> exactly. She's a mil- she was a milkman lover. And basically, that's always put me off. 
I had one experience where I lived with some other blokes at university and we decided to get a milkman. Fuck knows why. Was it ironic? Totally was it an ironic student yeah. thing? I don't oh, know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was laziness. I think we were just like, we wanted tea in the morning and no one could ever be bothered going out. But we accidentally, because we were idiots, we didn't know how much milk we required. So we thought, oh, better be on the safe side and get like three pints a day. <laughs> yeah. And next thing you know, we had a kitchen. There was like everywhere you looked, there was bottles of milk. And we were on a first floor flat. No one could ever be bothered taking out. So most of them were like curdled and yellow and disgusting. And it was just fucking everywhere. And our house was taken over. Our flat was taken over by milk bottles. And we, no one ever fucking got their act together to cancel it. Oh, you just got to leave a note or call them up. Oh, I can't find a number. Oh, fucking hell. Oh, we'll just have to keep taking the milk. And then it, it was out of control. So that- did you eventually then start producing butter and cheese? And then one of the, one of the lads <laughs> abandoned his course and turned into a full-time dairy in the flat. Well, these were the days before bullshit kind of farmer's market, artisan produce mm. and all of that. But had it been a little bit later in history, then we could have certainly made a little cottage industry out of it. As it was, the house just fucking stunk. <laughs> so I've had two bad experiences with with milkmen. One ended up moving in with yep. us. The milkman lover did take me on as his milk boy, Ooh. which was one of the advantages. It meant I had. It was it was fun at times. Yeah, yeah. like there was a lot of adventures went on. Like he was. Um, Kids would, you'd go into some flats and kids would nick the milk float yeah. and start driving around in it. And he'd run down from the flats and chase them. And he was a Scotsman. So it'd be very funny. He'd be running down. So you go, yeah, weird bastards. Get out of my fucking float. That was entertaining to me. I was only about 10. I was on, I was on the milk when I was 10, mate. I was, um, on the floats. I was, I was, I was, I was taken on as an assistant by a paper boy. When I was about seven or eight. You were an assistant paper yeah, well, boy? Yeah, the, the, the lad who used to deliver old papers, I just used to talk to him and I'd go down the street with him and help him deliver the papers. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, that, that also ended badly because he was hit by a lorry and killed. Right. Did you manage to take his job? No, I was, I was too job. young. I knew the round inside mm. out, back of my hand, but I was too young to have a paper round, so... This is a bit suspicious. I had to did look you ever come? Did your role in his untimely death ever come under scrutiny? I wasn't there when he was hit by the lorry. It happened at a different... different oh, how convenient. in a different part of the village at a different time mm. when I was uh, away on holiday or something. But um, oh, oh, I wasn't even in no, the country. No, I, I wasn't, see. no. I only found out much later on. And uh, the, obviously a new boy came and started delivering the papers. And uh, I felt um, a lot of resentment towards him. But then I got up <laughs> around myself one day, and that was vindication. Vindication of what? The fact that I wanted to pee around. You, you said about that paper boy, you death. did not die in vain. Yeah, he avenged his death <laughs> by getting me up paper around and, sp- yeah. and spending the money on records. He'd trained you well, hadn't he? He, he basically, yeah. It was like in Star He'd Wars. He started me off, yeah. He, the spark turned into a flame with him. Let me ask you something. Did his force ghost ever appear to you while you were delivering papers? No, it didn't. And give and tell you things. I kind of knew innately that he was inside. Me. No, that's not right. Um, use use the force, Andy. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, fucking hell. Oh, fuck me, man. I can't get this fucking Sunday Times through this letterbox. There's too many supplements. <laughs> it won't even fold up small enough. What am I going to do? Fold it again Suddenly, once more. You can do this. Uh-huh. Close your eyes and use the force. I can't even fucking post the newspaper with me eyes shut, man. <laughs> <laughs> fucking do it. Try it, man. Just It's magic. 
<laughs> I'm up here in Paperboy Heaven. I'm watching you. I'm here for you. All the other Paperboys are here as well. You can do this. They all want to say hello. But it's, it's very important. You just trust your instincts, like, and stop overthinking it. <laughs> you should come to Paperboy Heaven one day. It's brilliant. All the papers are really light, and the letterboxes are massive. And all of the housewives, they answer the door to give you the Christmas tip and that. And they're wearing dead sexy negligee with their knockers out like... lingerie on. It's lovely, man. (laughs) And that bit, that bit where you've got to take a shortcut through the old railway tracks, them hedges there, they're full of porn magazines that's been ripped up and everything. It's amazing in Paperboy heaven. Oh, and you were like, oh, I almost wish I was dead. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe. No, hold your horses. Maybe. Don't throw yourself in front of a truck like. Maybe that lad had thrown himself in front of the truck. Because another paperboy had previously died. Yeah. Had come to him and told him about paperboy heaven. A Victorian paperboy who died in your village many yeah. years beforehand had appeared to him one day and in told him about paperboy heaven. Yeah. And he just thrown himself. It sounds canny. And thrown himself in front of a speeding truck. Yeah, maybe it's like the equivalent of a suicide bomb where you think you're going to go to paradise afterwards. And But only in this case it's true. It's paper boy paradise. Those suicide bombers, I don't think it works out for them. No. But, you know, how do, how you do know? I know? I don't know. You're just having a punt. I'm just, spe- I'm just speculating. I'm having a punt that these fellas, you reckon they're going to go and have it off with all these virgins yeah. in um, heaven? No. I don't reckon I don't reckon they get it. That's all any of us can do, is it? Really have a punt. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, those uh, adverts you get, there's gambling ads at the moment where they've nicked the idea of the numbskulls. Right. Like, you know, that comic strip. They live inside your head. Where they live inside your head, and they've got, it's the most convoluted idea for an advert. They're, it's supposed to be in, you, you've got some lad, and he's sat on a sofa, and he's about to have a punt. Yeah. And then suddenly the camera zooms in on his eye, goes inside his head, and there's some twat wandering around. And in case you're not in case you're not clear on what the concept is, which you're probably not because it's just fucking bananas and messy, he's wearing a cloak or a t shirt that says your hunch on it, so you know uh, he's supposed yeah. to represent your hunch. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of other cunts on computers and they're supposed to be your brain. Right. And there is a conflict between the hunch and the brain. Right. I'm not sure which one's supposed to be the goody and which one's supposed to be the baddie. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to have a look at that and get back to you on it. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. What? But they should do that about the. They should make those ads about not just about sporting events, but also about other so things like speculating about the afterlife. Yeah. And Peter Boy Heaven. Be a good sitcom, though. There was another ad campaign that started um, re- referring to brains or intelligence as your smarts. Ugh. Did you notice that yeah. one? It was it was really irritating. It was like they decided in a meeting, a brainstorm, that using the word smarts, if they just start using it, yeah. it'll catch on and people will accept that that's a commonly used term that British men use mm-hmm. for their brains. Smarts. And, of course, it didn't catch on. You're like, huh, your God says this, but your smarts say that. Fuck off, smarts. What's smarts? <laughs> It's fucking millennials for you, isn't it? Millennials sat in advertising yeah. agencies, yeah. peddling lies. Um, where were we? Yeah, uh, a, a bit more of a cantonar. Roy says, hmm, this is controversial, a magical asset at home, a match winner countless times in the Premier League and the FA Cup. 
Eric didn't shine so brightly in Europe. Oh. Oh. He says, I can't recall one important European game that he turned for us. Oh. Mm. In Europe, you moved up a level or two. It was not just the real quality attacking players like Zidane or Del Piero that captured everyone's imagination, but tough, wily defenders, guys nobody had ever heard of who closed space down, timed their tackles to perfection, were instinctively in the right cover positions, had pace and read the game superbly. Eric never conquered this. Oh. (laughs) And conquering Europe was now what Alex Ferguson's Manchester United was all about. So there we go. Absolutely sticks it to Cantona there. You're all right, Eric, but it wasn't until you left that we won the Champions League, you prick. And who was it that got us through that semi-final against Juventus with the headed goal oh. and all of that? Oh, that'll have been me. I remember now. Lad by the name of Roy Keane. Roy Morris Keane, Not that all was. the fancy-pants speeches and philosophy and art and all the rest of it, maybe. But he did crop up with a fucking goal once in a while in Europe on the highest fucking stage. And he took his yellow card so he wouldn't have to play in the final because he was a team player. And he didn't just care about himself. He didn't walk off the pitch kicking some poor lad in the head on the touchline. That was Roy Keane's best ever game that I can remember. I can't wait till we get onto that. Bit. Yeah, probably the best ever game by any individual person ever. Yeah. Um, we'll leave it there then because we've done our allotted 30 minutes and I don't feel very well, <laughs> basically. So- <laughs> <laughs> And let's not forget, Andy, this podcast, the Keen Deep Dive, are the ones that they're actually paying they for. Are. Yeah. Sorry. Mm. Next week's will be better. No, not sorry. That's why we're going to be stricter with the time. Oh, right, yeah. Because, you know, if not, you'll start taking the piss. Yeah. Right? The free ones, whatever. But if you think you pay us for a half-hour episode <laughs> and we just bandy around 40-minute episodes yeah. willy-nilly then you'll get a little bit entitled and there's enough of that in this society I, um, as there is, right? I note that last week's Keen Odyssey episode clocked in at 41 minutes, yet the latest one is a mere 33 minutes. This is not <laughs> what I pay my subscription fee yeah. for. What do you want, a fucking rebate? <laughs> Fuck Actually, off. Don't, don't even use that word ever again. <laughs> I feel sick that I've even said it because I will tell you now, none of you, none of you will ever get a penny back from us. No matter... To what degree the quality of this podcast declines, even if some weeks we don't turn up and do it at all, I can't stress this enough. You will never get any of this money back, so just think on. You're perfectly within your rights to cancel at any time, and you can do that if you want to do that, but Mm. never, ever try and and come to us cap in hand and say, say, I I, I would like a portion of last month's subscription feedback because I do not feel as though I was satisfied by it. And also, never ask for anything extra like for your badges. money. <laughs> Nothing like that. There may be badges, but mark my words, you will pay extra for those fucking badges. We've always said there may right? be badges. We've never said there will be badges. Never. No, and, no and if the badges it. do arrive, they, they're going to fucking cost you, yeah. right? But there'll be fucking good badges if they arrive. Right, we'll stop there because we're up to 34 minutes almost and people are going to start getting All fucking... Right, yeah, job done. Yeah, bye. Yeah, see ya. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.